Hi, everyone. We are back with another episode of Understand South Carolina. We're talking about the coronavirus pandemic again today, but one topic specifically, how it's impacting education here in South Carolina. I'm Emery Parker. And I'm Emily Williams. We are joined virtually today by education reporter Jenna Schiffrell, who has been reporting about how this outbreak has upended education really at all levels, K through 12 and college students. Um, And she's also been writing about what that transition to virtual learning has been like for students, teachers and parents. But before we talk to Jenna, we're going to hear from a parent who's been dealing with this situation every day. All right. And uh, we're joined today by Maureen McGanner. Um, She's a parent of a child at Memminger Elementary. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. All right. And uh, I think we we just wanted to ask you kind of a a couple of basic questions about what what is your life like dealing with this new situation, this new reality that we find all find ourselves in? Um, It has been a learning curve. For sure. Um, it's, it's, I'm lucky enough to have a boss that was really understanding from the very beginning. Um, so I have been working from home since the like 11th of March. Um, so I had a little time before schools got out to get used to the routine of working from home and that kind of stuff. So Um, I think the thing that has made my son and I stay sane is a routine, is a schedule that we stay on. So Monday through Friday, it is, everything is broken out into, you know, an hour block or half an hour for this and lots of movement and, and brain breaks for him. Um, Beckett is eight, so he understands that when I have to work, that I have to be on my computer doing that, um, and is is good to go and, and kind of dive into his work um, on his own, but there are lots of times where there are questions or, you know, can you help me with this and that kind of stuff, so that's taken a little bit of maneuvering the work-home-school balance. So I know this this situation has kind of thrown parents uh, into a place where they need to become teachers at home and kind of help homeschool their kids. So what has that been like for for you kind of getting used to doing that? I know every parent has done homework help, but this is homework help times 10, right? <laughs> right, right. Um, well, with Memminger, and I know with, with so many schools, uh, they do have a virtual school setup kind of where their teachers are posting work and that kind of stuff that they can do. And, you know, nowadays, um, I think the biggest surprise for me is just how much the kids can actually do on their own. Um, whether it be through an app, um, IXL and all of that kind of stuff, they've got their math on an iPad. Which home with us. But I have definitely, I think math has been the biggest biggest hurdle for me because Beckett learns math a different way at school than I learned math. So, yeah. You, you probably, did you ever an- anticipate anything like this, this happening? <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's still weird. It, and, you know, we were out on bike ride approximately 85 yesterday morning of this time, you know, we're on day 22 now, I think. Um, and Beckett looked at me and he was like, 
it's so, it feels like a dream. Like, is this real life? You know, and um, he's dealing with, with it very, very well. I think we have been super lucky. We haven't had anyone directly related or, you know, who has been affected, but um, so that's been okay. But, you know, he definitely, he worries about our elderly neighbor and, and that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's been an interesting um, introspective look at kind of how we deal with daily life, yeah. you know, when it'll get back to normal and, that's not going to be, it. it's going to be a totally yeah. new normal. What, what's kind of the difference between the first week, you know, those first days um, that he was home from school and that school was at least temporarily canceled to now, you know, when we know um, we're several weeks into it and there are weeks ahead. What's kind of that difference between those first days and now? So I think in the very beginning, there was, um, there was not as much structure. We were trying to, to hit our groove. Um, and we finally kind of figured out together, it's just me and him at home. So just kind of figured out together what worked best for our daily schedule. So now we're able to get through Monday through Friday for a school week and, and I can make that work with my work schedule and he is understanding and that kind of stuff. Um, and then now, you know, we're looking at, it's going to be at least another month if, you know, if the kids go back to school and nobody knows. So um, I think not having a, a finish line is a little tougher, um, but we're definitely in a good groove um, and, and we're plugging along and, and, you know, like end of day, let's go play. <laughs> that works. What's, um, what's been like the most surprising thing? to you about this, this whole experience? Honestly, I guess like how much time we actually mm. have and how, if we could just slow down when everything is moving, it, it would make things a little bit better, I think for everyone involved. Um, and I think that, you know, to borrow from many people who have said this, like we can do hard things. This is, this is not easy. Um, it is a mom or a dad or two parents, whatever, trying to reassure their children that everything's going to be okay when we mm -hmm. don't know. Please don't touch anything. <laughs> God forbid, don't touch mm -hmm. your face and, and that kind of stuff. So I think just... Anything that you've realized works really well uh, for you and your son that you'd recommend to other parents who are in the same position oh, good, right good now? Good question. Yeah, yeah. That's a great question, actually. I do think that the schedule is really important, but I also think that we need to be really kind to ourselves in this time and understand that we are not superheroes and we can't do everything. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice. Yeah, I think it's a, and it's a great note to to um, end on. Thank you so much for sharing today. It's it's great to hear that personally from someone you know who's going going through this and and adjusting to it. We're all adjusting to it in different ways, right? But right. Um, it's been great talking with you. Yeah. yeah.
All right. And we're back with Jenna. So I think it probably makes sense to um, get started with the most disruptive part of this, which has to be kind of this missed instruction time or really just the fact that kids are out of school. I, I, I know when we were talking about this, the, the thing that, that came to my mind is that, you know, I, I can't think of anything any precedent that's like this. I, I think in my life, um, there was like one time up in Greenville when we had a really terrible ice storm and I missed like a week of school. And then, and then I was trying to think what's even similar to that. It, you know, maybe, maybe it's like when there's a terrible natural disaster, like a hurricane or something and people are displaced for a really long time. But even then they tend to be like moved to a new location and eventually they can like get back into education. I can't think of anything like this where just nationwide and statewide schools are just closed and it's indefinite and we don't really know for sure. We like we might not finish the school year. So can we kind of let's just like jump in there. So so what what does that picture look like for for parents and for students in South Carolina? Yeah, absolutely. I mean this is completely unprecedented. Even with natural disasters, uh, students really aren't completing schoolwork during that time. So parents have had to transition to kind of being a part-time teacher from home. And in order to kind of minimize um, the effects on students' education, schools and teachers are sort of taking a two-pronged approach. They're sending students home with Chromebooks and iPads and other technology devices if they have them, as well as some paper and pencil assignments. Most of them picked up those assignments or were given those uh, devices towards mid-March, right after uh, Governor McMaster announced that schools would be closed. Um, Some students picked them up at various meal distribution sites. But really, I mean, this has just been a huge adjustment for parents who are now just given this new role of educating their students from home. And that's been a, a real transition. Can we just take a a look at what we're looking at at this point in terms of closures and how long they've lasted so far? So I know for the most part, when we're talking about colleges, they've just said we are done for the semester, right? And even some have said um, summer classes are going to be online. But what are we looking at for K through 12? Where are we in that that that? phase of the closures right now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So most colleges are closed through the end of the the spring semester. Uh, K through 12, it was originally said that they were going to be closed through the end of March. Um, Then Governor McMaster extended that mandate to say that they will not be returning to the classrooms until at least the end of April. So consistent with what we've seen uh, his response been throughout this uh, pandemic, um, we're anticipating that we won't get any further updates for a while in terms of uh, if students will be going back to school at all this semester. I think a lot of parents and teachers wouldn't be surprised if they did not return to school before school lets out. Um, But really, uh, we've kind of just been seeing a step-by-step approach. So I would anticipate we would find out more about that once we near the end of the month um, to see what the governor's response is. And I know you were talking yesterday about when we were kind of preparing for this this podcast about how different it might be for students at different levels when we're talking about missed instructional time, right? It's a really different uh, question to think about what this means for maybe 
a, a, a first grader learning some really fundamental reading and math skills versus, you know, maybe a high school student who can learn a little more independently. So what have you heard from from teachers and students in terms of what missing that one on one in person time means for different uh, different kids at different levels? Yeah, I think with younger students, there is more of a concern that they are going to be missing some of these key uh, skills that they then build on throughout their education, like reading and basic math concepts. And those things, uh, unfortunately, are also things that can be really difficult to teach uh, from a parent's standpoint. High schoolers, middle school kids, you know, it's a little different in that, yes, they can do more work independently and on their own. They might need some more motivation from their parents and or, you know, some encouragement. Um, but then on the other hand, you know, it can be difficult for parents to to wrap their heads around uh, some of their lessons for high schoolers and middle schoolers. You know, parents aren't expected to teach their kids calculus or things of that nature. Um, so, yeah, it really does, you know, vary depending on the student's grade level and their age and how motivated they are. So um, that's something that parents have had to adjust to as well. And if they have multiple kids that span different grades, you know, they're wearing a lot of different hats. Right. It's like all of a sudden you have a bunch of people running a one room schoolhouse, right? With kids in elementary school, maybe junior high. I, I can't imagine trying to, you know, go back right now and, and help someone do trigonometry. I can't. I can't imagine what that would be like. Yeah, that would. Uh, yeah, <laughs> one of the things, Jenna, in your reporting that struck me is this line that this is this is kind of the new normal, and and people need to adjust to it. Because I can imagine, you know, when we first started this, maybe like the first week of it. You know, maybe if, even if you're a kid, it, it's like a, a fun, like oh yeah, I get to get out of school for for a week. But like now, now we're we've been doing this for a while, and again, we don't really know where the end of this is. So people are having to kind of adapt to this idea that this is going to be the new normal going forward. What does that picture look like? I mean, what is what is a, a school day look like now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it does depend on the grade and it depends on the parents individual schedule as well as uh, the students. So but for students who have been issued iPads or Chromebooks, a lot of times they'll log on to their school's individual um, platform. A lot of them are using Google Classroom. Um, some, some other third-party systems are also being used. They can look at their assignments, and usually it's pretty laid out. Um, here's what you need to do today. Uh, read this assignment, you know, complete this journal entry etc. And that's, but that's for the students who do have access to the internet and access to um, a computer or some other device. There are some school districts who did not issue devices um, right. and they've been using paper and pencil packets. Uh, then it's really up to the students. Once again, it is laid out a lot of times in a lot of detail, but it depends on the teacher and the school, but really it lays out, here's what we need you to do today. And then you're kind of left to your own devices to complete it. And I will say students are used to being in school for seven, eight hours a day, sitting in a classroom with desks and, you know, a very formal setting. And from what I've heard from a lot of teachers and parents is that online learning, it just looks different. They're not going to be spending seven, eight hours a day on it. It, it. it usually can take between 
two to three hours on average for students to complete their work for the day. That's if, you know, if they do it day by day on schedule. So that in and of itself is really different. Students just have a lot more time on their hands. Uh, and that's because the nature of the work is a little different. Yeah, that that reminds me of, um, I, I remember we, we, were, we talked about this a little bit when we were planning this episode. And then uh, this has been a, a national story that I, I've read a lot about. It is these technology solutions that schools are are turning to. I guess it seems like, you know, we're kind of making this up as we go along, um, how to do distance learning, how to do e-learning. And we're kind of, in some cases, sort of rushing into using uh, services like Zoom or services from Google or Microsoft that maybe weren't designed uh, with students in mind, uh, maybe not, maybe weren't designed with uh, privacy and, and security in mind. And, and I know I've heard stories of this phenomenon like zoom bombing which is where people get into like zoom classrooms and post or like show offensive material or something uh the the state of new york recently decided to to quit using zoom altogether because of this have you heard any anything like that happening here in south carolina or any any concerns about the the tools that that they're using or, or complaints about them you know I haven't, um, other than I know that some school districts were apprehensive about using video streaming services with between parents uh, for students and uh, teachers. But I, I honestly think that right now teachers and are kind of just trying to put out fires, so to speak, and, and just, right. you know, they're trying their best to get the information to the students in whatever way they can and maybe not as much concerned about what might happen uh, with this, you know, or the the perils of using this technology Uh, that might come later down the line when we've been doing this for longer. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see, I suppose. Along with that, I know you wrote really recently, Jenna, about students who were studying um, subjects that aren't really as conducive, right, to remote learning. So things like people learning to play instruments or art classes or, or things like that. And you had some interesting examples of, of what some instructors are doing to, to kind of keep, keep that learning going at this time. So what are some of the, the subjects teachers are having a challenging time transitioning with? And, and then maybe some of the, the creative solutions you've heard from some teachers? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, the hands-on kind of subjects are the ones that immediately come to mind uh, that are difficult to transition to online learning, or even difficult to transition to independent learning, because that's in a way what is going on right now is students are doing some independent learning. Uh, So fields like arts, music, science labs, you know, technical skills. We have a large number of students who are participating in, you know, or who are pursuing some sort of certification, like a hands-on skill. That's going to make it really hard to not have those in-class seat time hours that they need. Luckily, though, um, some of the state's accrediting boards for those types of fields, like the Board of Cosmetology, uh, and the Board of Barber Examiners, they have relaxed certain seat time requirements for those students um, because of the pandemic, um, which is is an interesting take. But in terms of teachers who are being creative, I've heard stories of Skype music lessons or video conference uh, rehearsals where all students try and log on. The challenge being 
if there's a lag, uh, that can kind of throw everybody off. Uh, one of my favorite examples was a Clemson art professor, sculpture professor, who is teaching his students how to go forage for clay in their backyards or wherever <laughs> they live. Um, and they can use that to make little, you know, small sculptures, and then they can fire it back in the kiln whenever they can return to campus. So yeah, there's certainly a lot of very creative ways that teachers are, are trying to adapt. A lot of project-based learning, like um, students who, fashion design students are sewing, you know, face masks and or facial covers for medical workers, that kind of thing. I wonder if um, if this if this means students are not doing nearly as many group projects as they typically would. I know that's kind of a dreaded thing among high school and college students everywhere. Have you heard anything about that? If they're still trying to to facilitate doing group projects remotely? Again, no, I haven't. I have not heard about group projects and how that's unfolding. I know. I mean, with some of the technologies, it can, it's easier. You know, like shared. PowerPoints or shared projects. Um, but no, I haven't heard of a lot of group projects happening right now. Um, again, I think it's just because everyone's kind of on their own schedule and doing their work, you know, at their own time. But I can certainly see how that would be a challenge to try and orchestrate that when you, you don't even see them face to face anymore. And this kind of reminds me of one of the things I've been thinking a lot about. It must be particularly acute for high school seniors, but I, I guess this also probably affects pretty much everybody at every grade level, but things like, like the, there are these milestone things that happen in a school year. And like I, like I said specifically for like high school seniors, like taking standardized tests, um, which is a, a, a like a thing that happens in school, uh, you know, and that gets you ready, especially like if you are a high school senior taking things like the uh, SAT or, or ACT, how, how are we adapting that to this new reality? Yeah. So testing is one part of that. Um, and that's going to be an adjustment, especially for upperclassmen, you know, um, the May versions of the SAT and the ACT have been canceled, the in-person administration of those, which is a major thing. Um, uh, assessment that students use when they're applying for college. Um, so that's an adjustment. Uh, Advanced placement exams, those are going to be held online for the most part this year. And that's, those are things that those students can take to get college credit. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of milestones happening, especially in the spring semester. Yeah, I mean, just imagine applying for college right now. Ima imagine being in that situation. Yeah, I think it, it must be insane. I mean, it's got to be so strange to not have the opportunity to go visit a college that you're potentially interested if you're trying to go out of state uh you know that's not a good idea right now so right. there's a whole lot of concerns on that end yeah and even though k through 12 schools we don't have an answer yet right on if they'll be going back for the semester they've still canceled a, at least a lot of schools right have canceled different events like their their prom you know their senior prom and 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 things like that right so I'm also wondering in terms of graduations, uh, what have the colleges done in terms of their, their graduation ceremonies? Are they, have they canceled them? Have they put them off? Um, what's, what's been the move there? Sure. Yeah. And we don't know for a lot of, uh, K through 12 or seniors and high school graduations, we don't really have an answer yet just because we don't know right, if they're right. going back. But for colleges, when we know for a fact that students aren't going to be coming back to campus anytime soon, some have decided to postpone it and schedule it for August. Um, others are pl 
playing around with the idea of doing some sort of virtual uh, or online commencement ceremony. Um, I think the lot most are still playing it by year and seeing how this situation is going to unfold. Uh, but graduation is a huge milestone, both for college, you know, students and high school students. Um, and so, yeah, I think those are some of the options they're looking at right now is postponing it or just playing with the idea of virtual, virtual commencement. It's another, it's, I mean, there's so many different things right now that feel so strange and unprecedented, but I, I just really feel for, um, college and high school seniors right now. I mean, to have something like that either, I mean, postponed, hopefully they can still have that, that moment, you know, that, that diploma moment, but it's hard to imagine that going virtual and still having the same experience. Absolutely. And in terms of high school, I mean, there's a lot of things that you don't even think about, like, uh, saying just the chance to say goodbye to your friends or your teachers sign yearbooks you know prom obviously is another huge one so there's a lot of unknowns I think for for everybody but specifically students in this transitional phase of their education so I know another thing that that you were talking about yesterday Jenna and it's not necessarily one that you would think of maybe unless you you have a child who's in school right now is um that like you were saying in, in they're there for so much of their day, right? And beyond just learning, there are a lot of other um, wraparound services, right, that are part of going to school, you know, um, whether that's your school lunch or hoping we can talk a little bit more about that too. Some of the things that, that come along with not getting that school time, right? There are a lot of other things they're losing too by not being able to actually go to a classroom every day, right? Yeah, that's been a real challenge. And I think people have started to realize with these widespread school closures, how much students uh, a lot of times really do rely on school for so many other things. Um, the most obvious of those is uh, meals. You know, students are used to a lot of times getting two hot meals and maybe a snack every day, Monday through Friday. Um, and that's especially important for low-income students who might not have that otherwise. And so right when these closures uh, started to happen, school districts were really quick to launch these meal distribution sites where it's like a grab and go um, type of situation where they've been providing them with, with meals. Um, that's one really important aspect because if a student's hungry, uh, then, you know, that is just and a major barrier to, to everything else that comes after that, you know, education being one of them. Um, a lot of after school facilities, you know, childcare, that's another major component that, that schools were able to provide, um, an opportunity for students to exercise and, and do other things like that. I mean, it, the list goes on and on. And I just think it's been really interesting to realize how much a lot of parents truly rely on the schools for things um, that otherwise might be given for some students, but, um, but not for others. Yeah. And when it, when it comes to things like the lunch distribution, I'm guessing that's a lot more difficult for school districts that are in more of a rural area. And, and also I'm wondering too, some of these parents might not have a way to get to a place where they're distributing food. Is there anyone delivering? I guess I'm just wondering what 
what some of the differences right are, but for a school district that might be in more of a rural area that has uh, just some more challenges, right? When it, when it comes to, to getting them that help right now. Yeah. I mean, we know that not all parents have access to a car. Uh, we know that not all parents can take time during the middle of their day to go get those meals. Cause a lot of times they have like a couple hour window where you can pick them up. Not all parents have that luxury. So what some school districts have done to, to try and help is actually distribute meals via school buses. So they can go along a set route and drop off meals that way. So hopefully the idea being, uh, with multiple stops, we can get somewhere close uh, for a parent and student can, to come pick up their food. So that's been one really innovative way. Um, I think they're handling that that sort of issue. And I know that overall, too, right, this situation is just emphasizing some disparities that already exist, right, for, for so many students who don't necessarily have the same opportunities to learn this is kind of just exacerbating that right in in some ways since um since they're not all going to that same classroom every day and are in the same environment um getting to learn what have you heard from from teachers parents in terms of that just how this kind of emphasizes some of those inequities that we already knew were there yeah i mean this is going to be a real challenge i think for some students um given the fact that a lot of education experts are concerned that being out of school for so long can only uh, further this achievement gap that we know exists in some school districts across South Carolina. And that boils down to a lot of different things. Most of the time, it's these various other barriers, though, uh, that we've discussed already, including uh, access to reliable food, uh, just a safe learning environment at home. Access to the internet is huge, huge. Um, Not all students have that. And when most of their work is online, that can be really um, obstructive to to being able to learn. Um, So... You know, there's just a lot of factors that go into this, and we know um, that it's not going to be easy for those students who are already struggling uh, to maintain, you know, their grades and their studies before any of this happened. And that's, I think, one of the sad parts about all of this um, is just these various barriers that we see uh, to education. When it comes to college students, they're also at least many of them at this point, right, have been directed to leave campus and to do their learning from home. So that might be uh, in the same city. It might be across the country, right, if they're um, if they're told to leave leave campus. Uh, But they already paid for that time. So so what's what's the deal there? So all of these students that paid for for meal plans and to live in their dorms, um, what's happening with them? Are they getting their money back? Yeah. So this is a huge concern among college students because you're exactly right. Being displaced in the middle of a semester is really disruptive. Um, most public colleges, if not all, have said they're planning to issue refunds for things like on-campus housing and meal plans. Um, that came after the state's commission on higher education released some guidance on that last week. Um, some of them had stayed silent on the matter until they gotten that guidance when uh, that was instructing colleges to, yes, you should issue prorated refunds for students who had lived on campus and were paying for these services. 
Um, private schools, um, it's a little bit different. You know, a lot of them are kind of still just playing the wait and see game um, and saying they haven't made decisions yet on refunds or some have said, yes, we'll start to issue meal refunds, but we're not sure we're waiting on further guidance about room and board. Um, but what I think is interesting is that, uh, I don't, I haven't seen any, uh, university say that they're going to refund tuition, which is from, I mean, that comes from the state's commission on higher education guidance because they say, well, we've, we have switched, you know, our classes entirely online for the remainder of the semester so that education can continue. And so that you can still get a grade and you can still receive credit, uh, for this semester. Um, and a lot of them spent a lot of money just trying to, to make that switch. Uh, that's one of the financial expenses that, uh, colleges have seen is just taking the sheer technology it, it requires to, to transition, uh, all of that. So those are some of the main things I've been seeing. But that, I mean, the, the interesting thing about that is it implies that the quality of your education is the same or equivalent. Right. But I mean, it, it, not that not that distance learning isn't good, but I mean it's just it's clearly not the same thing. I mean, and I'm trying to imagine like how do you how do you do a lab? You know? Yeah, exactly. I think um, that has been a point of contention for some students who recognize that college students specifically who have been saying we know that this is not the same caliber of instruction that that we've been seeing, but they recognize teachers are doing their best. Professors are doing their best and, right. you know, our understanding of the circumstances, but yeah. Um, but I don't expect to, see, I don't expect to see many colleges uh, plan to issue tuition refunds specifically. What do, what do we think this means for the, the financial future of, of these schools? If, you know, if they have to refund this money and if, I mean, what, what is next semester going to look like? Yeah, so refunds is going to be a huge chunk of expenses that colleges are going to have to to pay out that they probably weren't anticipating. Um, the state, like I said, the state's uh, commission on higher education has estimated that um, colleges, statewide public colleges, will could spend around ninety eight million dollars collectively just on student refunds. Um, they think the total uh, revenue losses related to this pandemic, they've estimated it to be about 118 million uh, for public colleges statewide. Um, and each university and college has kind of been creating their own estimates. Um, USC last week, they, they estimated the total input packed, um, you know, would be in the, the 20 millions. Um, same thing kind of deal at Clemson. So, that's going to be huge, not only refunds, but also just the lack of revenue that they're not going to be pulling in from events, sporting, um, sporting events, concerts, et cetera. Um, and we don't know what enrollment's going to look like, uh, in the fall. I mean, that could be another place where colleges see a big loss is if students aren't, um, coming back or if there's just going to be lower incoming class rate for, for freshman students. I guess the uh, last thing that I kind of wanted to touch on, and I mean, this is going to be a little bit more speculative, so um, I, I'm going into this knowing knowing that, but um, I can't help but wonder, what what is this going to do to that graduating class of, of college seniors who, you know, they're trying to start their lives, lives. they're trying to, you know, find a job, um, 
this is a really weird time in your life to be, uh, you know, facing all of these these challenges and then to have this thrown on top of it. I'm I'm really curious to to know what is that impact going to be on their lives and and going forward. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns, I think, for college seniors right now who are about to enter the workforce. Um, we don't really know the full extent of how they're going to be impacted, but we know that it's, it is, I mean, this has just been a major disruption in general. And for those who were maybe planning on taking some time to, to find themselves, you know, or to take a, a gap year before entering the workforce. Yeah, you don't, don't really have a choice anymore. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, or who, for those who are planning on working in food and bed jobs until they could figure out a, a more solid plan for what they want to do, you know, those are, that's going to be impacted. Yeah. I mean, cause the, the thing that, that I think about is, um, you know, the, the class that graduated during the, the Great Recession in like 2008 to 2010, you know, a lot, lot has been written about how that impacted their careers um, and what a, what a difficulty it is to graduate in the midst of a recession and how that can depress your earnings for basically the rest of your life. But th- this just doesn't even compare it to that because you know, back, even, even at the, at, at the worst moments of like the 2008 to, to 2010 period, I mean, you could still at least get a job. It might've been like, like, like a food and bev job or something, but you can't even do that anymore. You can't do anything to build your resume, you know, at least for the next couple of months. And, you know, hopefully, you know, th- this will be a blip and, and maybe people will be able to, uh, you know, it, it'll just be like a little asterisk in, in history, but you know, we don't, we don't know that yet. Yeah. I think one of the wild things about this too, is that these, these students, you know, the, the class of, of 2020, they've definitely been told up until very, very recently that the job market was incredibly strong in South Carolina, which was true. You know, it, we were, we're coming off really, really, really strong job reports really for more than than a year. So that that just must feel like whiplash to these students, you know, being basically told they're entering one of the strongest job markets in the country to that truly changing in the last month. So again, you know, like you said, we don't we don't know what the how quickly our economy will be able to recover, you know, hopefully quickly, but it's just, it's just such a 180 degree turnaround from that, that really strong job market in South Carolina to seeing, you know, record unemployment claims for the last two weeks. Yeah. I guess um, we, we had a a Lauren and MK do this last week. Jenna, if you have any, um, any of your own quarantine stay at home advice on what you've been doing to kind of stay sane as we're all reporting on this? Yeah. You know, one of the main things that has helped me and this sounds super silly is to sit at a desk and not on my couch. That has been one major thing for me. Um, (laughs) I had to steal a chair from the office because I originally didn't have one. So that's one thing that keeps me sane is actually sitting at a desk and trying to have some semblance of normalcy, uh, even though my desk is in my bedroom. Um, I don't know. That's the the first thing that immediately came to mind. And I don't know. I'm just trying to, to figure this out one day at a time, like the rest of us, I suppose. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. Like all of us. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Jenna. Really interesting stuff. And uh, I'm sure we're going to probably have to talk about all of this again at some point in the future. Um, lots of lots of unanswered questions remain. Lots of uh, uncertainty remains. And we'll we'll see how this plays out. But uh, thanks for, for joining us and, and helping us understand what's going on right now and the challenges that people are facing right now. How uh, how can people follow you if if they want to? Um, like, what's your your Twitter account or your email address? Or sure, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. It's just at Jenna Schiff. My last name is spelled S C H I F. So Jenna Schiff on Twitter, or you can email me at jschifferl at postingcourier.com. Before we go, I'll remind you if you have any comments or questions or suggestions about the podcast, you can find us on Twitter at understandsc, all one word. And uh, on postandcourier.com right now, all of our coronavirus coverage remains free. We've uh, removed the paywall, um, but we do rely on subscriptions to pay for all of the work that we're doing. So please consider subscribing or making a donation to the local news fund. And uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. All right, and that's all. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier in Charleston. Our theme song is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music by searching for Billy, that's with an I-E, Fountain, on Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. You can get in touch with us by emailing understandsc at postandcourier.com, or, of course, you can tweet at us with any questions or comments. And if you're a fan of the show, please take a second to like us and leave a rating on the Apple Podcast Store. See y'all later.